Welcome to the Global Futures Podcast with me, Joel Sandu. We have a very special episode for you today. This is the final Global Futures Podcast, and it marks the end of the Global Governance Futures Program, or GGF, which we wrapped up in September this year with the sixth round of the program. At the time of this recording, world leaders have gathered in Glasgow for the 26th Conference of Parties, or COP26, to discuss and hopefully take action to limit the impact of climate change. Despite COP26 being labeled humanity's last chance to get things right, there are critics who believe little will come out of this multilateral gathering and that these multilateral dialogues are dominated by economic interests and nationalism. This is where the topic of this episode comes in. After 10 years of development, growth, and success of the Global Governance Futures multilateral dialogues, we want to use this opportunity to reflect on the experiences of our alumni who participate in the program and to ask them, how useful are multilateral dialogues? For those unfamiliar with the program, GGF is a fellowship program that brought together young professionals and change makers from nine countries from across the world. We were very fortunate to have the generous support and trust for over a decade from the Robert Bosch Foundation to sustain GGF. Through a series of meetings over the course of one year, our fellows looked ahead 10 to 15 years and thought of ways to better address global challenges. They represented a diverse set of professional backgrounds, cultures, and histories. They were academics, journalists, entrepreneurs, private sector employees, NGO folks, government officials, think tankers, and so on. And this was great because it brought a variety of expertise and perspectives into the room that are crucial when discussing possible futures that will affect all of us. It also gave the fellows the possibility to explore, discuss, and understand differences and commonalities in the room, which they had to deal with. The fellows received training on the use of scenario planning and risk assessment to create possible scenarios for their working group's topic. They had to think of what can be done today to promote desirable outcomes and or to prevent less desirable ones in the future. The fellows were supported with professional facilitation from the Global Public Policy Institute, or GPPI, that carried out the program. The facilitation involved mapping sources of conflict, developing understanding of different perspectives and personalities involved, and crafting an agenda around carefully selected interactional settings, and by this I mean small group work or large group discussions and so on, as well as the use of different communication techniques for each setting. Some of you may be wondering just how useful and effective such multilateral dialogues are when addressing global challenges. So for our final episode, we wanted to ask our GGF alumni just how useful are multilateral dialogues? Where do they see these types of dialogues falling short of their goals and why we still need to invest in them? I started by asking Tessa Dooms if multilateral organizations like the United Nations or the World Health Organization appears to be failing to deliver globally coordinated responses to international challenges, as some would argue, should young policy professionals still be participating in cross-cultural and multilateral conversations? Tessa comes from South Africa, where she is the director of Yasoro Consulting, a development consultancy that focuses on the development of Africa. I think for me, when it comes to the state of the world and um, multinationalism generally, um, it felt like over the last 10, 15 years, there's been a complacency 
that's entered into geopolitics and an understanding of the world that there's just, you know, there's inequality, there's nothing we can do about it. They're the powerful, the, the less powerful, um, and those who are in crisis um, perpetually and in cycles of crisis. And there just hasn't been a moment. And, and we've, we've had crises, you know, we've had, um, not at the scale of the pandemic all the time, but we've had different kinds of global crises that you would think would have um, jolted countries, leaders, organizations, NGOs, into a place where they understood the urgency of a more equal world and more equal society. And I just don't feel like that's happened. And I think part of why um, multi multilateral conversations and um, engagements are important, particularly amongst um, younger people who don't have, you know, the, the G7 stage or the UN stage, is because we need spaces that are less curated, that are where, where we're not bound by the, you know, what we say here is going to affect my paycheck, it's going to affect, you know, uh, my standing in my society, but where we can have more honest conversations about the state of our world. And I think people, especially younger people, have become less aware of just how broken the world is. And that's because um, the mediators of um, information somewhere between politicians and the media are complacent. And so I think there's a need for honest conversation. I think there's a need for conversations that startle and bring back the, the sense of urgency that's needed. And then also conversations that allow us to think outside of the boundaries of what exists and the status quo. If a moment is to happen, like what happened in the 80s around the world, where really many parts of the world were trying to re redefine and refine themselves. If moments like that are to happen again, we require space places where we can be free, where we can think out of the box, and where the status quo is not pressed down upon us in ways that just stop us from thinking and being imaginative. Um, and I think um, we, can, we could do that on our own in our own spaces, but given globalization, given the way the world works, um, what's more important is to have allies, um, both allies that, um, you know, in solidarity, people who are experiencing the same kinds of things in different parts of the world that can think together about how they learn from each other, but also people who are experiencing very different things, and particularly um, people from countries that have more power um, so that their solutions and the way that they think about changing the world is not exclusionary. Next, I caught up with Liz Schulke from the United States. Liz is currently living in Berlin and is a German Chancellor Fellow. I asked Liz a similar question. Why should young policy professionals involve themselves in multilateral dialogues? I think if we're falling short, there's never been a greater call for multilateral dialogues. I think what happens here is, um, you know, in GGF, I had a lot of conversations with people in the global south coming from the global north and living in the global north myself, that I think there's this real prejudice coming from the global north that we do not see the global south as legitimate partners. We see them as people we can teach things to. And I think you saw that falling through when you kind of have this approach from Britain where they're not recognizing vaccines from certain countries. So they're saying, okay, we can't confirm the legitimacy even though it was the Global North that donated these vaccines. Why are we not treating them like equal partners? Why are we not ensuring just the same way we would that France and the US and Canada have a legitimate system? Why can US trust Germany to verify their vaccine results. Um, and I think these dialogues need to come forward for the North to kind of wake up and realize what viable advanced partners are in the Global South, as well as the Global South, can maybe jump some of the steps and institute some of the logistics that the Global North has already already put in place. And so I think everything is stronger when you actually bring folks to the table and start talking about it. 
I wondered why Tessa thinks multilateral dialogues have fallen short. Here she is again. I think they've fallen short because we've we've turned our attention, and I, I think when I say we, I mean really governments and international NGOs in the main. Um, we've turned our attention to the events rather than the content, and so there's a lot of kind of event-driven um, engagement. So we focus on you know the the meeting, the place, the participants. But we're not thinking about what makes these spaces most productive and what do you do once you have, you know, people in that room that makes it most generative. And so we, we're counting success wrong. We think that success is having had a successful meeting. We don't hold ourselves to a higher standard that says, do we know that meaningful relationships were created here that will be able to catalyze change in the different contexts that people come from? Do we know that um, resources have been unlocked through this engagement that can be useful for people when they go back to the homes that they, they come from and the countries that they come from? Um, do we know that there are kind of systemic issues that we have unpacked and that we've dealt with that we can take to people who are more powerful than us and actually used to to change systems and change processes and change the way in which um, things happen in the world. Too much focus on the event and too little focus on the impact. And it, it, it's a different thing when, when, when you're working on, you know, very localized projects, there, there's more of a focus on the question of impact. But when you're working with, you know, something that draws people together from different places, it's easy to become distracted by um, how the event turns out and how people feel and how they experience it and not think enough about what happens when this is done and people go home. Events-driven rather than content-driven dialogues. That reminded me of a conversation I had with Max Boucher in March of 2020 when we met in Kramer's bookstore in Washington, D.C. shortly before the lockdown. He spoke to me about the importance of tying dialogues to action Max is from France and is a project manager and senior policy analyst at Brookings. I think a question would be how do we tie the dialogue to, to action? Because at the end of the day, the value of these dialogues and of these interactions with people from different backgrounds and, and stories and, and, and viewpoint is how to bring in be better idea and how to translate these ideas into action. I really like the fact that GDF uh, tried that by connecting these sort of abstract exercise of scenario planning to the policy project. Suddenly we were really anchoring those ideas and discussions into the real world in a way. And what I think often these multilateral dialogues lack is again this, this action piece. How do we translate these ideas into what do we do now? And a lot of conferences happen every day around the world but often the question is, what now? How do we translate this into, into action? We have heard criticism of multilateral dialogues. However, I was curious to know what was it about GGF that appealed to our alumni and drove them to apply to the multilateral dialogues program. Here's Felipe Oria from Brazil explaining why he decided to join GGF. My name is Felipe Oria. I am a practicing Brazilian, very, very in love with, with the country and very active in all that has to do with, with, I mean, national issues, mostly inequality, have been involved with 
politics for a while wasn't very intentional. I was a political science student with a lot of will to 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 get involved in, in social issues and ended up uh, in politics. But today I work as a public policy manager at Uber. I, I'm a very active person. I'm, I'm always trying to think of my next step. And when I decide where I'm going to put my energy in, particularly being a, a bit of a technical person, is... And, and here's the, the phrase I, I always carry. If you, every time you learn something, in, especially if you, you participate in a program, just think about that knowledge. In 30 years, that knowledge is going to be outdated. And every time you get to know someone and you actually really get to know someone, especially when you know someone in a purposeful way, in an intentional way, around an issue by knowing a different perspective, in 30 years that network is just going to get stronger and stronger. The, it's just going to keep feeding you with more information, more knowledge, with a, a deeper sense of trust. So for me, I got to a point in, in my professional life, in my career, where I think that these connections, and I mean, they're, they're not just personal connections. They're connections framed around a shared purpose, a shared sense of, of, of responsibility around a problem, around either a policy issue or a broader social issue. The, the ones I've participated before have just been feeding me constantly on, on, on knowledge with purpose, with, with uh, so many of these, not only skills, but, but I don't know, this energy for carrying our work, which can be very demanding, that that's basically of the, the rationale that took me to making that decision of, of getting involved in applying to, to another program. That was Felipe from Brazil. We wanted to hear from someone on the other side of the world and see if the motivations to join GGF would be any different or similar. Nurma Fitrianengrum spoke to me from Jakarta in Indonesia. Nurma is a good governance project officer with TIFA Foundation. I think for me, it's I didn't have that much expectation at the time. But yeah, the idea of having discussion with people from different places is uh, it drove me to apply uh, for the uh, program. And at the end, I got more than that. Actually, uh, I got a lot of friendship and also uh, professional development throughout it discussions that I had with other fellows within the uh, sessions and also outside uh, those uh, meetings. I mean, uh, some of us had our small groups, WhatsApp groups, and also had our small meetings. And in that forum, I would say like informal forum, I got a lot of knowledge from them. Also, we shared a lot of activities and also potential collaboration in the future. And then also other fellows and they shared um, to us their work events and we also attended some of them. I think I think it's it's the connecting what uh, really other people, other fellows are doing and we can get involved in that in that event. It, it's also interesting. I'm waiting actually also for like possible a collaboration in the future because like uh, for me in the working group of uh, media and information, I think we are really into the issue and we really want to do something on it and work together. Remember Max? So when I met him in March 2020, I also caught up with Didi Ogude from South Africa. Didi is a social development specialist at the World Bank, currently living in South Africa. Over a coffee, 
I asked both Didi and Max why they applied to the GGF program in 2019. Traveling. <laughs> no, of course. And I, I say that in jest, but also I do think there's a lot that one learns from traveling and traveling with others um, and having dialogues with people in new places. I think that's an important way of just learning and seeing the world. But for me, it was also about surrounding myself with people that will challenge me and enable me to be more self-critical and challenge my biases and, and strengthen my positions as well. Because I think what these kind of multilateral dialogues do is they first challenge your views, but also reinforce some of the things you really believe in and help you articulate them in a way that is constructive and clear to other people, which I think is so necessary in very increasingly polarized nation states and communities and being able to communicate your view in a way that's not toxic but is constructive and but still true to yourself and yeah so that's what I, I looked forward to when I first applied and was completely fulfilled so yeah, I really love what Didi uh, just said this idea of accepting criticism you never know your own blind spots until they've been pointed at you and and personally I remember I think in high school, when you write your first resume, I remember writing, uh, I'm good at cross-cultural communication or something like that. And I feel that until I done GDF, I was actually pretty bad at it. Until you've been in a room with, in a closed room, with seven people from different backgrounds, different cultures, different personal trajectories, and you have to compromise, to negotiate, to find common ground, I feel it's very hard to, to know where you stand on cross-cultural communications. Uh. One of many key elements that sets GGF apart from other multilateral dialogue programs is the amount of time the fellows spend together. Before the pandemic, the fellows would spend almost the equivalent of three and a half weeks together over the course of one year. This time commitment gave them the opportunity to broaden and deepen their connections with and understandings of one another. It allowed them to come together to learn about their differences, to listen and talk to each other, to explore their disagreements, to work collaboratively, where possible to reach consensus, to decide on what to do as a group, and to work jointly in the interest of the whole group. I asked some of the alumni to look back at their GGF experiences and imagine watching themselves from a bird's eye perspective. Really, to step back, watch themselves from a distance and describe to me how they saw themselves participating in the GGF program. First up is Nathalie Schneller from Germany. Nathalie is a senior strategic consultant with SAP, Europe's largest software company. When I applied for GGF, I had been with the tech sector for nearly three years. It had been a big transition for me coming from the public policy world and a jump into cold waters. I was surrounded by people with completely different professional backgrounds. It's been really exciting to learn about technology and digital issues, but I also realized that I'm missing the public policy community a bit and also learning from people my age because I would either be the youngest or 
the oldest in the room, but I, I didn't have many peers. And I also felt, even though I was learning so many new things, kind of an intellectual void, as I was learning a lot about technical topics, but I was losing connection uh, with more uh, political, sociological, philosophical questions. So I saw it as an educational opportunity in a way and sort of as a preventative measure to yeah, not dry out in a way. Yeah, that was my that was my very initial motivation and also kind of nerdy. Oh, I want to like I thought foresight methodology is really interesting and I was excited about the prospect of perhaps applying it. In, in my daily work and then the whole deeply human aspect and very emotional experiences that that came uh, were more of a surprise maybe that's why they caught me so intensely because i didn't prepare for it mentally and i, I engaged both on a very intellectual level i, I learned so much um, and really i think strengthened my abstract conceptual thinking through the very rigorous and um, challenging in a good way exercises that we did and our fantastic senior fellow who guided us uh, through it. On the other hand, um, I engaged emotionally as well. And yeah, I think I showed myself very vulnerable and enjoyed other fellows doing the same. Because of the pandemic, the last GGF round unlike all the previous ones, took place online and in hybrid format. During the final session, a majority of the fellows were able to attend the session in person. Here is Liz sharing her GGF experience during the time of a pandemic. I think my experience specifically with GGF can't be viewed outside of COVID. <laughs> and the fact that we were supposed to have these in-person meetings and we switched to Zoom and there was a massive canyon when I finally met these folks in person. Um, there were so many people that I thought I really had pegged or I really um, had a meaningful conversation with. And then you meet them in person and you have the body language, the ability to connect outside of the structured time. Um, that really, really shows you how rich that connection could be. So I would definitely say, and not that this is ever the goal uh, moving forward, but never, don't have an over-reliance on digital. Digital can bring people together from around the world, but I think it cannot be in place of in-person conversation, in-person dialogue. It can for sure be a supplement too. And I, I think the other thing is, we talked a lot about this in our session um, at GGF, was how do you encourage disagreement? And I think sometimes uh, coming from the background I do, we think disagreement means someone has to be on the opposite political spectrum. And I don't believe that. I think there can be massive disagreement within, um, you know, we're, I'm talking about that woman from South Africa, the guy from Brazil, we're both in progress, we're all in progressive politics, we all care about the climate. And yet we have disagreement because um, two of us were women and one was a man. So his experience in that field is vastly different. Two of them are from the global south, I'm from the north, that experience is massively different. And you have to be comfortable one, acknowledging where those disagreements are, or that difference or that friction, and also being open on both sides. One side can't be like, oh, I'm always wrong. Thank you so much. It has to be like, well, no, my experience is valid too. Um, and really encouraging that um, differences is a, is a fertile ground for growth. And I really liked the way the program really mixed us all up. And that means mixed across um, working groups, mixed across countries, and as well as mixed across 
purpose of the multilateral dialogue. So one of the most meaningful conversations, and I keep hearing this again and again, is those, um, these, these, they're called trio and duo walks. And it was this idea where you partnered with someone or two other um, fellows and it was a free for all. There was no, okay, you have to talk about um, this policy topic, but it became incredibly impactful. I had a trio walk where we had such vastly different lived experiences. It was three women from across the world, um, across experiences. And yet we actually realized as we were talking, we had a common thread that came through us. And I think it made the conversation so impactful. And I will literally never forget this because I'll remember their stories so personally in the context, as well as the thread to myself of we had this common thread throughout um, the three very different topics, very different personal experiences. I also asked Norma and Tessa to share how they witnessed their participation from a bird's eye perspective. First up, Norma. Maybe I want to a bit explain about myself first that actually I'm very slow to warm up, especially with new uh, people and, and the, in the new environment, to be honest. And But I, I tried really hard to like uh, make contribution for our group or like working group. And I think I did uh, quite good. I wasn't like a very talkative. Uh, so I did most of the writing and also organizing and helping the other fellows also to adjust about their schedule and such. So I think, yeah, I felt uh, one of the roles that was kind of needed also to organize like different people with, with very different schedules. And we were apart, like far away from each other with different time zones. It, it was kind of, ch- it was very challenging to have discussion and meetings like very late at night at my time. And it's very early in the other places. So, but uh, if maybe that I want also to highlight from our uh, cohort, I think even though we had only one in-person meeting, I think the relationship is really strong after after the in person after that in person meeting. So I think I want to appreciate that it, it's so, it's it's so important because like at the time I didn't expect a lot like about the in person meeting. I mean in this in this pandemic period, I would say that it was hard to imagine how the meeting would be with a lot of people came from their uh, semi-isolation. But yeah, I think we were also very like, we were craving for interaction and everything and discussion and like just hugs and everything. And the you guys GPP, I created a very like, very a beautiful event and also it, it was so kind of I would say it was perfect because we felt safe to express ourselves and also to be vulnerable and I think in the this kind of multi-dialogue forum it's also important for everyone to be feel safe and they can be vulnerable and also feel what they really felt at that time so because that way they can be honest about their self and also their problem and then they can reflect those individual experiences into more like bigger maybe like national scale problem or also like more global problem so i yeah i'm really appreciate uh, that 
you guys created uh, those sessions for us. And here is Tessa with a different view. I engaged sparingly. <laughs> um, that, that's how I engaged that week. Um, and I, I had to be very honest about my personal circumstances and recognize that my tank to give and my tank to be fully present was very low at the time. And so uh, my goal was I walked in, into that space saying there are a few people who I need to have very serious interactions with and engagements with. There are a few things that are on my to-do list um, in terms of people who I, I want to learn from and engage. And then, you know, maybe like a 10 or 20% of my tank is open to very kind of new and unexpected experiences, which is usually how I don't, not, not how I go into spaces. Usually I go in more with the, I'm open to see what this brings. Um, but because I knew that I had limited capacity. I knew I needed to be really, really focused. And so I really went for deep rather than wide in in the way that I engaged with people who I engaged with. And um, I, I thought about who are the people who I know I can make meaningful contact with and connections with post this um, event and opportunity. And I think that that was the the, the best use of my time. I, I, I would have played this very differently, was in a different place. And I, I want to say that because I do think that while it's important to be strategic, you know, when you get into a space, um, I also think that I've probably um, let myself down in the fact that it, it would have been nice to experience the space, the space more organically and be able to just be open to whoever and whatever comes my way and allow that to kind of impact on me and shape the direction in which I go. Um, I've lived most of my life that way, um, you know, by happenstance, as opposed to being very like laser focused. And I think there's great value to that in those kinds of environments. But I, I had to be realistic about what I had to, to give. The most difficult global issues we face in life, whether as individuals, organizations, societies, or nation states, cannot be solved by individuals acting alone or by factions acting in their own distinct and exclusive self-interest. With this in mind, the Global Governance Futures program was consciously designed to connect people from different countries and from different professional sectors because we need the multidimensional thinking to tackle global challenges. In multilateral dialogues, the task of bringing such diverse groups with different experiences, expertise, and interests sounds like a rewarding endeavor, and at the same time, it is a complicated and daunting task. I asked Max and Didi whether it was worth the effort to do this. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's intimidating because I think there's so many different perspectives that you have to account for and we all come with our own biases, our own disciplinary training, our professional background, our national cultural context. And it's, it's daunting and it's intimidating, but you can't do it any other way. It's necessary. And I think it also requires making space for innovation and making mistakes, right? We don't have the solutions. We don't know the right way to do things. So you'll fumble and fall and you know the dialogue may not be easy but it is necessary do you think uh, so uh, a solid dose of optimism is uh, necessary yeah i think a cautious optimism <laughs> um i think we're we're dealing with really um overwhelming problems like climate change like now the coronavirus and other issues and it can 
places in a can kind of make us feel like we're in a place of paralysis and there's nothing we can do. So optimism is is fundamental because we don't want to feel like we are paralyzed and and have no agency. But at the same time, we have to be cautious about the yeah the, the extent to which dialogue can solve everything as well. And Didi just mentioned uh, the word paralysis. I think it's fundamental. We are seeing like major gridlocks in some multilateral platforms. But I, my perspective is that it's really often at the central government that we really see those obstacles, these restraints or withdrawal on major platforms to solve some of the major global challenges, whether it is climate change or, or migration, when I'm mean, just to mention the US withdrawing from some really critical agreements. So it's up to us to look at those alternative sources of energy and influence And there is energy influence, again, with in local communities, in, at the neighborhood level, in cities. Or, and so I think really our job is to see them and, and empower them. To see and empower them. That reminded me of something Felipe said when I asked him whether GGF had any influence on his professional and personal life. For me, more than changing directions, I can say the program was very much of a, a catalyst for a lot of the, the projects and ideas I had going on, especially working with, with policy innovation that I've, that I've been doing here and had some incubated projects for a while. I always joke around that when you participate in a project like this, where a lot of the people are coming from completely different backgrounds, completely different parts of the world, but always looking at the same problem, It's like seeing all the versions of your life it could have been. So working in policy, it could have gone towards a, a multilateral organism. You could have gone to university in, in academia in general. You could have gone to politics or you could have gone to policy work. And then you get people that are actually in all these different perspectives looking at that same problem and you, and you just think of, oh, I actually thought about all these options. So it, it's great to, to it, it's, it is really empowering because then you get to to take a, a bit of a sneak peek of what it could have been like and the things that actually would have made sense for you and the things that wouldn't have. And that allows you to to come back and, and then re-engage with your work just aimed with all these different perspectives. For me personally, it really helped me to, to accelerate some projects with, with a, a policy innovation institute, really helped me uh, make some career decisions, which were, were really important. But I'm sure that for each participant, it takes on these very personal decisions, but coming from this perspective of, of seeing your, your life from a distance, but by, by seeing the different versions it could have been. It is not easy to assess the quantitative impact of multilateral dialogues. Among other things, these events are designed to bring people together to create some level of understanding and cooperation in the face of common challenges. So I wondered, what are some of the non-tangible elements, the qualitative aspects that multilateral dialogues foster? Here is Liz Schulke. I kind of say this and I don't know if it's trite, but it feels like such a luxury to be an adult in your working life and have this ability to really pursue a passion. And for me, um, on the Humboldt Foundation, it was that passion for women in leadership. And with GGF, it was that multilateral dialogue. It's connecting with, you know, the most 
the most talented folks from around the world. Um, so it absolutely has impacted me because I think it helps you focus on where do you keep going to integrate that further into your life? How do you keep pursuing projects and networks and ventures that enrich you the same way these experiences have? As well as I have like legitimate contacts now across the world. And we've talked about launching another fellowship program or um, how can we work together? And I think that's a huge um, spinoff is the folks that are in these fellowships are going to be leaders in their field and in their countries. And it's so exciting for me to see where can they go and how can I dive in? Either it's just a cheerleader on the side or is there something I can contribute? Can I bring my expertise or my network to the table? Um, and I think that is truly life-changing because it's lifelong. Finally, having been through a full GGF round in person before the coronavirus pandemic hit us, I asked Didi and Max to reflect on their experience and what they took away from the program. There's value in like building trust, which is what Max was talking about earlier, and I think that often requires time. And what I appreciated about the GGF is, you know, if we only had the first session in DC, it would have been a huge loss by the time we, we were in Berlin and Paris. We'd built these really strong relationships and there was a level of trust that then enables you to feel like you can do something together. Um, and so I thought that was really fundamental to the way the program was structured. Yeah. I'm going to sound corny, but friends, I really made extraordinary friends uh, from South Africa, from France, uh, from China and this is something I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep for uh, forever. Yeah, same. Um, totally corny, but completely true. It's the relationships. I mean, I've, I've, I feel like I've made new, meaningful relationships with people that I, I hope to know until the end. So, yeah. Multilateral forums give us the space and opportunity to come together to dialogue to share, to learn from one another, and to voice our differences and explore opportunities and ways to move forward. These dialogues may not always deliver the action we look for to tackle some of the biggest challenges humanity faces, yet it is dialogue that allows nonviolence to work. Whenever we can promote nonviolence, space for deeper understanding and cooperation among people of the world, we should see it as an investment for future generations. The GGF program was one such effort in building bridges across countries, cultures, professional sectors, in hope of finding ways to better address global challenges through understanding and cooperation. We want to thank all the GGF alumni who took part in this final episode. There are many people who have supported the GGF program during the last decade that also need to be thanked. All of the GGF partners in Brazil, China, Japan, Indonesia, India, France, Germany, South Africa, and the United States. Thank you to all our fellows, now alumni, who have made the GGF program incredibly special, unique, and a place for emotional, cognitive, and compassionate growth. A massive, massive thank you to the Robert Bosch Foundation who trusted and supported this program and made it possible for friendships and collaborations to flourish. And finally, a heartfelt thank you to everyone who worked on the GGF program over the years. There are many sheroes and heroes, past and present, at the Global Public Policy Institute and Foresight Intelligence that made GGF successful. You're listening to me, Joel Sandu, and it has been a true privilege and honor to be part of the Global Governance Futures Program. Thank you.
This episode was produced by my colleague Sonia Sugrobova from the Global Public Policy Institute with support from Coco Aglibu. The host was Joel Sandu. You can find all our episodes, opinion pieces, interviews, and much more by visiting www.ggfutures.net forward slash analysis. Thanks for all your support over the years. Goodbye.